Well, good morning, Grace. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. I don't know. Is it? Oh, without even looking. Perfect. All right. Colossians chapter 1. All right. You may be aware of this, but one of the very important roles, volunteer roles here at Grace is, uh, is that of core group leader. Um, our core group leaders are volunteer leaders who work with our student ministry, and uh, they're sort of like personal shepherds. Uh, they're, they're personal shepherds who work with groups of students, usually pretty small groups of students who are separated by, by age and by gender, and they come alongside these students and they do the work of ministry amongst these students. They work to make disciples. Uh, they do things like apply the scriptures. Uh, they, they work to paint a picture of Jesus who is beautiful and worthy of worship. Uh, they teach students how to read the Bible. They train them in sound doctrines. They won't be tossed to and fro by every cunning wave of false doctrine. They work to present students mature in Christ. In short, they work to make disciples. And these leaders, they'll, they'll often stay with a group of students for several years, and they'll work hard at this. And, and over the years, I've had lots of conversations with these leaders, uh, just by virtue of my role here at Grace, and I've heard this sentence come up over and over and over again uh, with core group leaders. The sentence is, I wish, I wish that I had something like this when I was younger. I wish that I had something like this when I was younger. And, and every time I hear that statement, I think, me too. I must have thought hundreds of times how much I wish that I would have had something like a core group leader when I was younger. Or I think about the different uh, sort of discipleship venues at Grace, I think about Grace Group Shepherds and the sort of role that Grace Group Shepherds have had in some people's lives. Um, I recently heard about Veronica Cincinnati taking, uh, taking young women under her wing and seeking to disciple them. I think about Sherry Hara, who's discipled women for years and years and years. And, and I've thought so many times as I see those sorts of things, the role of core group leaders in young people's lives, and I think, man, I wish that I had that when I was younger. Uh, some of you know a, a little bit of my background and my story. Maybe it's new for some of you, but... but um, I grew up and, and, and came to know the Lord in such a way and walked with the Lord in such a way that I think I would summarize that whole process as accidental. Accidental. You know, I had a non-Christian friend invite me to a VBS because they didn't want to be alone there. And so I heard the gospel and I trusted in Christ. No one ever uh, ushered me into that process. It was an accident. It was, it was almost like a mistake. 
No one ever taught me how to read the Bible, but because we had a theme verse from the book of Nehemiah at a high school retreat that I went to, I, I had my imagination captured, so I went and read the book of Nehemiah, and then I started reading the Bible from that point on. You know, no one ever taught me doctrine or theology, but I came across Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology at Barnes & Noble and bought it and read through it. And I could go on and on, but, but all of this just seems so accidental. And as I reflect back on my coming to know Christ or my early days of walking with Christ, I'm amazed that I didn't become a massive heretic or that I didn't make shipwreck of my faith or I didn't just get discouraged and give up. My, my life in so many ways, especially those early years, is this gigantic testament, testament to God's persevering grace, his loving kindness to his people. Nevertheless, as I reflect on this, I think, wow, that is not the way that it's supposed to be. Now, that's my story, but I would venture to guess that that's probably true for many of you as well. I think many of us have grown up and we've sort of stumbled around and we've bounced off the walls until we found ourselves here. Maybe some of us have had people take us aside. Maybe some of us grew up in a, in a particular church where discipleship was valued and where discipleship was happening from up front or through the various ministries that occurred in that church. Maybe you had parents who were intentional to disciple you and raise you in the ways of the Lord. But a lot of us, it, it may seem sort of accidental that we are here today. And Grace, I want you to know that that is not the way that it's supposed to be. My heart, deep down in my heart, I do not want anyone from grace to accidentally know Christ. I don't want anybody who comes through these doors on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night, on a Tuesday morning, whenever we gather, I don't want anyone to accidentally know Christ. I don't want your children who go through our children's ministry, or your students who go through our student ministry, or my kids, or my family to accidentally know Christ. More than that, you have to know that this sort of discipleship or lack thereof is not God's intention or desire as well. God is gracious. He's so gracious and he works despite us. He works in spite of us. But nevertheless, this plan or this no plan of discipleship is not God's plan A for his church. In Matthew 28, referenced at the very beginning of our service, Jesus famously gives the great commission to his disciples. And in that great commission, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, to obey or observe all that I have commanded you. This is a well-known passage but it's a passage that gives the church her marching orders. And it's funny, as well known as it is, it's a passage that we often uh, get the emphases wrong in. 
Um, we like to make much of the going part of the Great Commission, and that is certainly an important part. But the, the main verb of the Great Commission is make. It's make. Going is one of the very important and key ways that we make disciples. But the making disciples part of the Great Commission, that is the big ask. That is the commission, that's the task given by the Lord Jesus. And that's what Jesus has called his church to, to make disciples by going, by baptizing, by teaching, by obeying. And grace, the elders of grace, we want to take this seriously. We want to be obedient to Christ and we want to lead this church in such a way where we are a discipling church, a disciple-making church. And we want to do this because we want to be obedient to Christ's commands. We want to worship him with our obedience and we want to be a part of his plan A. We don't want people to accidentally know Christ and follow him as a result of their coming here. No, we want them to, to be taught the word of God and to be, to be conformed into his likeness and be presented mature in Christ because of the intentional, careful effort that happens from within this place. We're gonna be discipled one way or another by all the stuff that's out there, by our friends, by society, by media, or we could be discipled within the church towards Christ. And this, is, this all has led the elders to, to take a step back a little bit and spend about two years thinking intentionally about discipleship and our discipleship efforts as a church. And so this has led us to pray it's led us to read books. It's led us to send elders to conferences about discipleship. It's led us to, to devote elder retreats to discipleship and just talk a lot about our discipling efforts as a church. And the questions arise, are we working to present everyone mature in Christ? That's our big vision. That's what we exist for, to present everyone mature in Christ. Are you working to present everyone mature in Christ? We think the answer is yes. Nevertheless, it seems right for us to double down on our efforts and really bear down in this area because this is our job as a church. And this means a lot of things. You've probably seen our new discipleship plan. Uh, it's out in the, the foyer. You could actually pick up a copy of our discipleship plan. You've probably uh, heard the verbiage, look left, move right. We, we had the, that even up on our screen before our service this morning. And now we, we also want to teach about discipleship. We wanna preach about the, the, the central role that discipleship is supposed to play within the local church. And that brings us to today. This morning we're beginning this series, Making Disciples. And we're gonna spend four weeks thinking about discipleship and making disciples. And we're gonna ask some important questions like why make disciples? What is a disciple? How are disciples made? And who makes disciples? Uh, this morning, 
uh, we're going to be asking this question, why make disciples? Why devote ourselves to the task of the Great Commission? Maybe another way to, uh, to ask this question is, what is God's plan for us and for the world? And before uh, we seek to go about answering that, I just want you to know that, that I have been influenced, our elders have been influenced pretty significantly by a book called The Vine Project. It's put out by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. And so a lot of where we're going to be in the word this morning is going to be because of the influence of those authors in that book. And I suspect where we'll be for the next several weeks will be uh, pretty influenced by that as well, so you know. And also so you know, um, there is so much that I want to say this morning, and I don't have the time for that, uh, or uh, the the request to talk about those things. And so as young people like to say, I'm going to try to stay in my lane. But because of that, you might leave this morning with some questions. So uh, I'm trying to answer the question, why make disciples and not what is a disciple? Or how are we as a church going to go about the intentional uh, work of discipleship? And so those are important questions. And we're just going to let that tension exist and hopefully build uh, in anticipation of the weeks to come. And so again, this morning, why make disciples? We're gonna see two reasons, and we'll see those reasons from Colossians 1, verses 13 uh, through 14. So uh, again, if you have your Bibles, Colossians 1, that's where we're gonna be, and, uh, and we're just gonna read these two verses, and so please follow along with me as I read. Verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that we can gather together in his name today, Lord. And so we pray that he would be made much of in our time together in the word. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And may your spirit take this word and put it in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So why make disciples? Why make disciples? That's the big question. And the first reason why we want to make disciples Uh, from Colossians 1 is because the world has been plunged into utter darkness. The world has been plunged into utter darkness. Colossians 1 verses 13 and 14, uh, these are some of those incredible verses that it's almost as if the camera pans out. The camera backs up a little bit and, and gives us perspective to that big thing that God is doing in human history. So so we're seeing that panned out view. We're seeing that that wide angle view of the big thing that God is doing in human history. When we're inundated with the latest round of the news cycle, it's so important for us to be people of the book and to allow the word to give us perspective because God is up to something big. And yet it's easy to lose sight of that. What is God doing in our world? 
To answer those questions, we, we first need to be oriented to the big problem. And Colossians 1 shows us that problem. God has delivered us, yes, but what has God delivered us from? From the domain of darkness. From the domain of darkness. From the kingdom of darkness. From the territory of darkness. From the place of darkness. This is where we begin. Why do we make disciples? Because darkness exists and because this world has been plunged into it. Colossians 1 teaches us that there is in fact a domain of darkness. There is a kingdom of darkness, a territory of darkness that exists. And this morning I see one of my big jobs as just doing whatever we can to ensure that our eyes are opened to that reality so that we are aware of the present darkness that is all around us and that envelops this world. We we need to be aware that our friends and our families and our institutions and our government and so much more are a part of this kingdom, this domain, this territory. Typically, I think it's so easy for us, for me, to be lulled to sleep in such a way that, that we don't think about our world belonging to a kingdom of darkness. We just go about our lives, and our lives are, are pretty simple. We go to work, we go to school, we, we go and get food, we, we do the things that we have to do in order to live, we come home and we spend time with our families or our friends, we watch TV, we seek to honor God with our time, yes, but, but we go to sleep and we sort of rinse and repeat and we get into these rhythms and, and we sort of forget about the world around us and the big picture things that are happening around us. And maybe this week is a little bit different for you. Maybe you've seen the news coverage of the brutal Taliban regime and, and what's going on in Afghanistan. And, and as you watch the news or you read your social media feed, you see these things and you go, darkness. Or, or maybe the, the good news that's coming out of Texas this week, that, that a bill has been passed that, that seems to have largely eliminated abortion in the state of Texas, but that causes you to reflect on the horrors and the reality of abortion and those things that often drive women to abortion. You think darkness, definitively darkness, Or this week, maybe you've been keeping up with Hurricane Ida and the destruction that it's wreaked on the Gulf Coast or maybe tornadoes and floods in the Northeast. And you're able to point to that and say darkness, that sort of natural evil is darkness. Just this past week, I've had two friends lose family members, one to COVID and another to addiction. You can look at that and it just seems so plain that darkness exists in our world. Maybe you think about these things and you think darkness. God is always doing a million things 
But I think that maybe one of the things that's happening in these sort of events is, is God is, is pulling back the veil, so to speak, and giving us an opportunity to, to see things truly and to be made aware of the reality of our world and that th- this world has been plunged into darkness. We're supposed to see these things and think darkness. But then what often happens is the news cycle fades. Those posts on social media get pushed back and the algorithms are no longer bringing them to our attention. And these things fade from our memory and we move on. We start watching football again. We, We go back to the latest and greatest Netflix show and we binge that. The darkness fades and grace We cannot let the knowledge and understanding of this darkness fade from our minds. In the Bible, darkness represents a whole host of things. It represents sin, it represents the effects of sin, it represents ignorance of the truth, inability to find the right way, it symbolizes destruction, And it symbolizes that great enemy, death, both physical and spiritual death. Darkness shows up all over the scriptures. It's not meant to be a good thing. Colossians Colossians 1 comes along and it tells us this important truth. It's not just that darkness exists, but there is a domain of darkness. This world is characterized by sin. It's characterized by the effects of sin. It's characterized by ignorance of the truth. It's characterized by inability to find the right way and it's characterized by death. And now I want you to keep that in mind. What I want us to do is, is read through several passages of scripture. And as we read these passages of scripture, my hope and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would take these and just smack us in the chest with them and cause us to realize the overwhelming reality that this world truly is in a bad place. And we, as Christ's beloved, his bride, need to be aware of that and reckon with that. So I want to read these things and let's keep our eyes open to what darkness does and how darkness reigns in our world. Romans 121, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Galatians 1, 4, Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 5, 8 through 12, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light 
in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Ephesians 5.16, redeem the time, for the days are evil. 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Grace, I think I read through every single passage in the Bible this week that, that uses the word dark or darkness or refers to these ideas. This is everywhere in the scriptures. And what we see as we look at these verses or any number of other verses in this this world, we, we can glean particular truths. There is a kingdom of darkness, a present kingdom of darkness. It is a kingdom or domain or territory that is characterized by evil and sin. It's ruled by Satan. The world is unaware of this and is content in its sin. Grace, the world around us is not neutral. The world around us is not just struggling. There aren't just a few bad apples out there that, that, that make it, the world have an appearance of not being good. Our world has been plunged, dunk, tossed into the deep end of darkness. And so there are real life, spiritual and eternal consequences to that. And so why do we make disciples? Why do we as a church labor to make disciples? Why do we as individuals make disciples? Why is the Great Commission concerned with making disciples? Because many of our friends, many of our family members, our neighbors and our coworkers and much of the world are either influenced or active participants and citizens of this domain of darkness. And they don't even know. Lately, I've uh, noticed that the algorithm on my social media feeds seems intent to make me scared of the water. Um, I started to notice all of these videos popping up uh, on Facebook and, and Instagram of people in the water unaware of what is around them. And, uh, and so there's this one video that, this past week that has stuck with me this entire week and I think about it before I close my, before I fall asleep at night. It's just gotten in my head. But it's this video that's taken from a high balcony in Panama City Beach, Florida, which is where I grew up vacationing. It's where I vacation as an adult. It's where I've taken my kids to vacation. And there's this video and there's this guy just happy-go-lucky in the water, clear water, and he's just hanging out, having the time of his life in the clear, beautiful water. And little does he know that there is a massive, and I'm not playing, a massive hammerhead shark just circling him. And that'd be one thing, but in this video, several times the hammerhead shark darts at him. It charges at him. It'll get feet away from him and then it turns. And and part of me thinks, what are these people on the balcony doing not yelling to this guy? <laughs> Which is just 
another, another thing to talk about. But I, I, I'm just blown away by this, that, that there are these massive monsters circling this guy and he is completely unaware. He's just hanging out, chilling. It reminds me, um, several years ago, I went surfing at San Onofre, Sano, which is down in like San Clemente area. And, uh, and I had a great day surfing with some friends. And I came back uh, to my house and I, I looked online at one of my favorite surfing websites. And by the time I had gotten home, uh, a video had been uploaded of this paddleboarder who went to San Onofre and he paddled out about 50 yards past the, 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 the breaker where the, where the surfers are lined up. And he takes a GoPro on a stick and he sticks it in and underneath him are two 13-foot great white sharks circling his board. He pulls the GoPro up and in the background you can see all of the surfers at San Onofre. And, and the thought I had was, I'm one of those people. Like, I, like that GoPro is, is recording me over there and these two 13-foot great white sharks. And I had no idea. Now, I know that the water is actually pretty safe. I know that there are statistics that tell us that it's pretty safe and blah, blah, blah. I understand that. To me, in my fearful heart, these videos show the sort of imminent and present danger that you are constantly in in the water. And the fact that you could be in danger and not even know. You can be in danger playing around. You could be having the time of the life while monsters circle you. That's what we need to reckon with this morning. Why do we make disciples? Because our world has been plunged into darkness and that means real consequences for our world, for Christians and for non-Christians alike. Non-Christians are blinded by the evil one. Blinded by the evil one. They cannot see. They have hard, cold hearts. Their, their hearts are inclined towards evil. It's like they're swimming with great white sharks and there's, uh, and there's chum in the water and they don't even know. And so hear this, realize this, recognize the truth of the matter. Eternal torment and hell away from the presence of God is their future lot apart from knowing Christ Jesus. Do we know that? Do we believe that today? And not only that, but, but believers, while, while the gospel tells us that Christians are safe ultimately from, from, from hellfire, Christians nevertheless so often waste their lives away, peddling with mud pies to use a C.S. Lewis image, dissatisfied, lacking peace, lacking joy, as if they aren't really uh, uh, in danger in it all, they toy with darkness. They play with darkness and they're content with that. Wasting their lives. Here's the deal though. Here this morning, if we are in Christ, if we have read our Bibles, the world may be, may be blinded to these spiritual realities, but we aren't. But we aren't. We know the truth. 
We have had our eyes opened. Our hearts have been changed and they are now oriented towards Christ. And so we can identify the markers of the kingdom of darkness. We can see the sharks in the water and we can tell people about that. We can warn them. We can engage with them. And so now this morning in our lives, we're confronted with a choice. We could stick our heads in the ground and we can hide from the darkness We can even play with the darkness, as dangerous as that is, and we can experience sorrow and grief as a result. We can waste our lives, or or we can internalize Paul's exhortation to the Corinthian church, and we can wake up. And we can wake up from our collective drunken stupors and we can engage the world with the gospel seeking to make disciples in the power of the spirit and we can tell the world to get out of the water. Why do we make disciples? We make disciples because the world has been plunged into darkness and there are real consequences to that. The world might be blind to that reality but we aren't. And so we engage. We engage. But we don't just engage because darkness exists. No, we engage because light exists too. And so our second point this morning, why do we make disciples? Yes, because the world has been plunged into darkness. But why do we make disciples too? Because the biggest and the best story ever is being told. The biggest and the best story ever is being told. So as we return to Colossians 1, 13 and 14, we have to notice something. It's not just that we've been been made aware of the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, but in Christ, we are delivered from the domain of darkness. We are transferred to the kingdom of Jesus. This kingdom, as Colossians tells us, is characterized by redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So why do we make disciples? Because while there is sin and death and darkness, there is also everlasting and glorious light too. From the very first pages of scripture, God has been telling us a story. And it's a story that spans all of human history. In the beginning, God created everything, including mankind, for himself. As Augustine says, God made us for himself. But what happened? Genesis 3 happens. And our first parents, they sinned against God and they ate of the tree that they were forbidden to eat from. They act in sinful rebellion against God. And what happens as a result, the world is plunged into the darkness that it remains in today. But God spoke. And there in Genesis 3, God says to the devil, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, or he shall, uh, he, uh, he shall bruise your heel and, you shall, and he shall crush your head. And so we see this conflict introduced. 
a conflict between a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom that is characterized by light and redemption. Uh, The kingdom of darkness characterized by captivity, evil, and death. While light is, is characterized by redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and life. And so th- this begins a, a story that we see woven throughout the pages of scripture. It's a grand narrative. It seems that darkness is going to win the day over and over and over again. It seems as if darkness is going to win. But over and over and over again, we see God act. Israel is in captivity in Egypt. They cry out to the Lord. That their, their bondage is severe. Their workload is doubled. It all seems lost, but then God acts. And what does he do? He redeems his people and he delivers them from Egypt in the Exodus. We fast forward and Israel has rebelled again and again and again against God. And and they receive their just reward for that. They're carried off into exile in Babylon. They're away from the ability to worship God the way that they've been commanded to. They they lose their names. They lose their heritage. Again, it seems as if God is, or it seems as if all is lost. And what happens? God works. And he delivers his people. And he brings them back from captivity. We fast forward to the New Testament And what happens in the New Testament, we become made aware not just of the physical bondage that the people of God have suffered through, but the spiritual bondage that they continue to exist in. That their rebellion against God has created enmity between them and God. And they need somebody to come and do something about that. All is lost. They've been plunged into darkness. And what does God do? In love, he sends his son Jesus to come and to live and to die and to be raised to life so that redemption and the forgiveness of sins can be offered to his people fully and finally. As we look back on the pages of scripture, we can see that there is a cord that runs throughout human history. It's a cord of redemption. From the beginning, God has been working to redeem a people to himself, to purchase a people to himself. Again, I want to read some some passages of scripture, and these are just the smallest little chunk of passages that I think reinforce this theme that is at the very beginning all the way to the very end of the Bible. Again, I pray that the Lord would put these in our hearts and cause us to be awakened to the glory of redemption and what God is presently doing amongst us and what we've been called to participate in. Why make disciples? We read this earlier, but I'm gonna read it again. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. First John 1, 1 through 3, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ again just a smattering of verses we could look at a ton more but they tell us something very important God is doing something big and something specific God is working to redeem a people to himself to purchase a people to himself. It's as if he's going into the slave market and he is, he is robbing, plundering the slave market and bringing the slaves to himself and giving them freedom and sonship in his name. A few years ago, the student ministry had uh, Arvind Balaram come and speak to our high school students about his work as a pastor in India. And um, and he told us about some of his work and what's going on in his church. Uh, it was a sweet time that I'm grateful for, uh, for, for many reasons. But while he was with our students, he pointed us to the Great Commission, this idea that we have been commissioned, we have been given a purpose to make disciples. And he encouraged our students, he encouraged us to take this commission seriously because this is the main thing that God is doing in the world today. The main thing that God is doing in our world today. I've thought about that statement a lot over the years. That is quite the thing to say. Can that be true? Is it possible that the main thing God is doing in our world is redeeming a people to himself? There are lots of important things out there, right? There are lots of things we can point to that seem to to be pretty big. I mean, think about politics. Think about all the different conversations that that are being waged surrounding politics right now. Think about all the countless interesting sports storylines. Is LeBron James gonna win another ring? Is Alabama going to continue the greatest dynasty of all time? Will USC and UCLA continue to flounder as programs? But there are other big societal questions. What about climate change? What about COVID? What about debates related to the best philosophy of government and government's relationship to the people? These are all really important things for us to consider and to work through, right? 
but what is the most important thing that is happening in our world? What is the most significant thing that is happening in our world today? If we take our cues from scripture, then there is no other answer. It is clear. It is God's work to gather a people for himself. Consider Acts 1.8. Jesus is about to send to the right hand of the Father. He's going to go away. And at that point, his disciples come to him and say, is this the time where you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, do not concern yourself with that. It's not for you to know times and seasons. You just need to know I'm coming back. What you need to concern yourself with is being my witnesses. Here in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There's lots of important things going on out there. There are lots of things that you can concern yourselves with. But what I want you to be centrally concerned with, the center of the target, is that you go and you proclaim my mighty deeds. You testify to my goodness, my character, my might, that I am gathering a people to myself so that they could worship me and enjoy me forever. And where is all of this going? The Bible tells us, consider a passage like Revelation 7. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Where is all of this going? Where is what we're doing right now as a gathered church going? God is gathering a people to himself but one day that process will come to a glorious completion. God will have gathered these people to himself and they will engage in glorious worship to the son Jesus forever. Philippians 2 teaches us because Jesus humbly suffered and died on the cross as a man in our place that God has bestowed upon him the name that is above all names, that every knee should bow to Jesus, to the praise of the Father. There are lots of important things happening in our world today. And God tells us that this is the most important thing. Most important thing. Not only that, but if we make this the most important thing, it'll inform all of those other things. Because people who have been made into disciples who are mature in Christ, they're able to serve and bless society in a positive way. But rather 
than us putting our heads in the sand at the darkness that exists, or rather than us being so caught up in the things that are going on and swirling around in the world. No, we are to be people who, who are engaged or who, who are filled with the spirit and who engage the mission that God has given us to go and make disciples, recognizing that the importance of this task towers over everything. God has created the world and everything in it. They belong to him and he's bringing it back to himself. He's bringing us to himself so that he can receive all glory, honor, and praise, and so that we can enjoy him forever. So, why make disciples? Because this is the best and the biggest story that is ever being told, and we have the privilege of playing a part in it. Because God has chosen for us to be the means of moving this thing forward, and now we get to. And so, in the power of the Spirit, linked arm in arm together as a church we set out. We do our best to accomplish this task. Lord, help us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that we can gather together in his name today. Lord, help us as we seek to take your commission seriously and make disciples. Lead us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.